Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. Life on the ballot. In 2024, there are high stakes at the ballot box when it comes to defending unborn lives. Since the overturn of Roe v.ersus Wade, pro-abortion activists around the country have been working to undo decades' worth of state-level pro-life laws. And soon, over a dozen states could have many rows added to their constitution. We cover the latest. Shifting strategies. Some say that for pro-life gains to be made in today's cultural climate, the strategy needs to change. I'm joined by Matt Soulsberry of Pesh Strategy, who weighs in on the recent pro-life loss in Ohio and shares his take on how pro-abortion activists succeeded in selling their pitch even to conservative voters. Which states are the most pro-life? Tom Shakley of Americans United for Life joins us with a report on which states have the strongest policies to protect babies in the womb. Despite political turmoil, lawmakers in some states are still using their power to protect the most vulnerable. As many of you know, the fall of Roe v. Wade back in 2022 returned the power to the states to legislate on abortion. And as it stands, the nation is decidedly split when it comes to the right to life for babies in the womb. Many predicted after Roe's fall that about half of states would enact strong laws stopping abortion, and the other half would work to cement Roe-like policies in their state laws. And that prediction came true. But what many didn't see coming is how the question of abortion came up in state-level elections across the country. This due to pro-abortion activists introducing measures to fast-track radical pro-abortion policies that alter state constitutions. Together with our sister publication, the Catholic News Agency, the Pro-Life Weekly team has created a map tracking the damage that's been done via pro-abortion ballot proposals and what's still yet to come. We'll be updating this map in real time throughout the year. Here's the breakdown. The dark pink shows where we have already seen pro-life losses at the ballot box. California, Kansas, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, and Vermont. The light pink shows where abortion could be on the ballot this year. As of right now, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, Arkansas, Pennsylvania, and Florida. The bright orange is where we know abortion is already on the ballot in New York and Maryland. And on a bright note, the green shows two states where the right to life is protected by their constitutions, Tennessee and Alabama. Clicking on each state will give you more details about what's happening there. For example, in Florida, you'll see that the required signatures have already been collected to add the pro-abortion proposal to the ballot. But in this particular state, the measure is currently being held up by the conservative state Supreme Court. And speaking of Florida, Monse Alvarado, president and COO of EWTN News, recently sat down with Florida governor and presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis, who has worked to advance laws protecting the unborn in his state. The heartbeat bill that was done um, provides, you know, more robust protections and will end up saving uh, a lot of lives. How that factors in politically, I think on, on issues that are fundamental, you know, why are you in office? Are you in office to put your finger in the wind and try to contort yourself into a pretzel? Or are you in office to be able to stand up for, for things that, that, that you believe in? 
You can catch Monse's full interview with Ron DeSantis on our EWTN YouTube page. And joining us now to discuss the impact of abortion on the political realm this coming year is Mary Margaret Olihan. She is senior reporter at The Daily Signal. Mary Margaret, thanks for joining me. Let's first focus on Florida. We just highlighted that they could see abortion on their ballot this year if the state Supreme Court doesn't step in in a decisive way. What are you hearing from the Sunshine State and how abortion is pertaining to the elections there? Well, I'm hearing across the board that pro-lifers are very concerned about these ballot measures. I mean, you know, when we when Roe v. Wade was overturned, this was such a gigantic win for the pro-life movement, right? But now that we are seeing these ballot measures, it's this easy way for radical leftists or far-left interest groups mm -hmm. to insert themselves in a state and try and take over and change that state's abortion laws to basically enshrine abortion into the state constitutions. And that's unfortunately what we're seeing pro-abortion radicals trying to do in Florida, where Governor DeSantis just signed a six-week abortion ban or protections for the unborn. And that should show us, Prudence, just how scary this is for those trying to protect the unborn, because this could, if this could happen in Florida, it could happen in any state across the country. Right, right. And we also just heard from presidential candidate Ron DeSantis. Can you speak to how these ballot proposals popping up across the country is going to continue to impact the field of presidential candidates and how they campaign on this? Well, they're going to have to address them, and we don't hear them talking about the ballot proposals very much. Yeah. Uh, as you know, Prudence, this is a tricky subject for the 2024 candidates. They know and they're being told by Republican consultants to stay away from abortion. Unfortunately, that's what Republican consultants have been saying for a long time. But if we look at the last election results and we look at who made a clear stand and explained where they stood on abortion, showed where their opponents stood on abortion, and contrasted the two positions, the Republicans who did this effectively won, like Governor DeSantis in Florida. The Republicans who were afraid to do this and they put their head in the sand, like Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, they lost. And so this is, this is something that Republicans are going to have to come to terms with. Are they willing to be confident and to say, yes, I support protections for the unborn, here's how, and by the way, my opponent won't even tell you if he would protect babies up until the moment of birth. Mm. That's that's a huge issue. And, and frankly, if you can't say that, if you can't contrast democratic extremism to pretty reasonable, practical Republican solutions to protecting life, then, then maybe you shouldn't be on the presidential stage. Right, right. And it's one thing to talk about how these candidates are messaging, but when it comes to the question of abortion, right on the ballot. Protecting life hasn't necessarily been a winning issue in terms of these ballot proposals. Seven states now, we've seen losses. Um, why do you think that is? Well, partially because the people on the ground in these states, you know, you'll see these pro-life groups that put so much time and effort into the protecting or trying to fight back against these ballot measures. Right. But then in Ohio, for example, you had celebrities like Barack Obama and John Legend, I believe, yeah. weighing in in favor of the pro-abortion ballot measures. And meanwhile, the Republicans had J.D. Vance and the governor, who is not very conservative at the end of the day, but Republicans were able to gather support from him. Those are really the only people that came out to help Ohio. Uh, and these are these are big deal ballot measures. And if Republicans aren't willing to pay attention to them, we're going to lose all over the country. Yeah, it's the messengers and the money that are really key here. Absolutely. Mary Margaret, you travel the country reporting on stories that matter not just on the abortion front, but the fight to protect families more broadly. What else are you tracking and, and hearing in these first days of the new year? 
Well, we're keeping an eye on different cases all across the country that involve parents not being told about their children in relation to gender ideology. All across the country, we're hearing about schools transitioning children without the parents' consent, such as socially transitioning a child and calling them different pronouns and a different name at school without telling the parents. In early December, my colleague Tim Kennedy and I traveled to Denver to interview Joe and Serena Wales, parents of a little girl, an 11-year-old, who was on an overnight school trip and was told that she had to share a bed with a boy who identifies as a girl. And she did not know that this boy was, in fact, a boy until they were in their hotel room and he told her that. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so this is, this is a wild story. We, we sat down with the whales. You can see it at DailySignal.com. But parents are not, they're not going to accept this lying down. They're, they're willing to fight for their children. And we've seen that in recent years with the way that American parents are standing up and telling school districts, no, we are in charge and you do not get the final say over our children. So those are some stories that I'm very invested in right now. We'll be tracking those at Daily Signal and excited to see what we can uncover. Great. Well, the stories that you do uncover on that issue are always so eye-opening and important. Thanks for the work that you do. Mary Margaret Olhan of The Daily Signal. Thank you. Ohio was the most recent state in which one of these pro-abortion initiatives was successful. Issue 1 opens the door for abortion on demand through birth in Ohio and could even take parents out of the conversation when it comes to minors obtaining an abortion or even invasive surgeries that are meant to change a child's biological sex. Joining me now to shed light on what happened in Ohio is Matt Salisbury, managing partner and director of digital at Pesh Strategy. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Your team worked in the final weeks leading up to the vote in Ohio to try and get the pro-life message out. Give me your take on why the message of pro-abortion activists actually won out in the end. Prudence, thanks so much. It's, it's tremendous to be here with you. Um, as you mentioned, we were involved in the end game there in Ohio, uh, specifically to work with the Physicians Coalition uh, that was uh, working hard on the pro-life side. We were unfortunately unsuccessful. I think the pro-abortion side, the abortion movement in general, has been very successful because they've been able to medicalize their position. They've been able to put a white coat on the abortion industry. Uh, it's worked with voters. We've seen that over and over again. They've got good messaging. They've got the right spokespeople. Uh, they've got at least the uh, uh, perception that they've got grassroots support. Uh, and they've got a lot of money, and they're being very, uh, you know, they're being tremendously successful with that. Right. Doubling down on that that talking point that abortion is health care. It's very troubling. Moving forward, Matt, what do pro-lifers in these states need to do better? What needs to change? It's a great question. Um, first of all, we need to uh, accept the fact that the other side's been winning. I think it was Julius Caesar that said that experience is the teacher of all things. Well, we definitely have a lot of experience now losing. We've lost seven state, straight states. Um, and uh, it really matters more than any other political uh, ballot measure or campaign because lives are at stake here. Right. Um, we really need to get back into the driver's seat. Um, the other side, they've got a two-track message that's really resonated. The first is this idea of freedom, getting government out of the exam room. Uh, Molly Ball unpacked this in the Wall Street Journal recently, did a really, really good job um, kind of explaining how the other side was able to co-opt our own message um, and use it against us in a red state. The second tract is protection from harm. 
protecting women and girls, especially from harm. We know this is absurd. Every time an abortion uh, is performed, one of the patients is, dies, and the other patient is usually scarred for life or for a significant amount of time. Um, we also know that 93 percent of OBGYNs don't even perform abortions. Mm -hmm. So the idea that this is essential women's health care is absurd. That being said, this, this dual message of protection from harm and um, freedom, keeping government out of the exam room, it's really worked for them. So we need to push back. We've got our own doctors. They're tremendous. There are thousands of them, fired up pro-life medical professionals. We need to uh, uh, use them more effectively and earlier on and not bring them in last minute. Yeah, really well put. Great analysis. And, and Matt, how does the national conversation around abortion impact these state-level elections? You know, are, are the broad implications of these abortion questions on the ballot really grasped by normal people around the nation? I don't think they are. Again, there, there's been this, this real... Um, almost insidious ability by the abortion industry to, um, in particular, focus on harm and protection from harm. Um, you know, talking about ectopic pregnancies, one in 50 pregnancies is an ectopic. Um, talking about the, you know, very young girl who's a rape victim tragically and uh, then becomes pregnant. Um, talking about the late stage miscarriages. We need to do a better job of telling voters and Americans in general that um, medical care is not impacted in a negative way by the pro-life movement, right? Um, if it were, then Catholic hospitals wouldn't have been providing good medical care for the last 50 years right. since Roe. Um, it's just not true. It's a lie. But again, the other side's done a tremendous job dressing itself up in a white coat, pretending they care about women and girls. It's a lie. Yeah. And how do we use the political sphere moving forward, Matt, to influence the culture conversation and, and save babies in the womb? And not only these children, but also young women and girls who are contemplating ending these precious lives? It's a great question. I think this idea of a whole life ethic where we really start to focus not just on the moment of decision around abortion, um, but actually looking at how we care for women and girls and families uh, that may be struggling. You know, oftentimes these are fraught choices and this is not made lightly by people. Mm. So really walking with them, accompanying them. Um, I think the Catholic Church in particular does a really good job with that. Um, that's the first thing. On the political front, um, fighting back, right? As I said, there are thousands and thousands of pro-life medical professionals in this country. Um, APLOG, uh, the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs, is the leading membership association of pro-life medical professionals. They do tremendous work um, uh, year-round, and not just in political contexts. Um, there's a lot of good uh, physicians and uh, medical professionals at work every day taking care of their patients following Hippocratic medicine and the principles of Hippocratic medicine. Um, I think it could also be very helpful if people would talk to their own medical professional, right? Your doctor, the nurse who's mm -hmm. taking care of you. Um, it's important that, uh, you know, the, the people who provide our care um, share our values and share our perception of human life and the sacredness and dignity of human life. So I think that conversation is one that's an easy place to start. Absolutely. Well, very insightful conversation. Matt Salisbury of Pesh Strategy. Thanks for joining me. God bless. Thanks, Prudence. Coming up, Pope Francis speaks out against what he calls the exploitative industry of child surrogacy. Hear what he had to say. Plus, a new report from Americans United for Life ranks states by their pro-life laws, or lack thereof. Tom Shakely joins us next.
You're watching EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Welcome back to our program. And now your top headlines of the week. First up, Pope Francis strongly condemned surrogacy, which he called deplorable. The path to peace calls for respect for life, for every human life, starting with the unborn child in the mother's womb which cannot be suppressed or turned into an object of trafficking. Pope Francis spoke on the topic during a gathering of the world's ambassadors to the Vatican on January 8th. He told the delegates that surrogacy is a grave violation of the dignity of both the woman and the child and called on the international community to ban the practice. And back in the United States, a study found that more and more women who are not pregnant are stockpiling abortion pills just in case. After the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade was leaked in 2022, requests for abortion pills from non-pregnant women spiked from 25 a day to nearly 250. This, according to data from Aid Access, a Netherlands-based nonprofit that is one of the leading providers of deadly chemical abortion pills here in the U.S. Doctors express concern that these just-in-case pills pose a dangerous health risk to women who may take the pills incorrectly and without any medical supervision. And at the Capitol, the Supreme Court is taking up another abortion case. The justices agreed to hear a challenge to Idaho's law that prohibits nearly all abortions. The challenge comes from the Biden administration, which alleges that Idaho is violating a federal law which allows ER doctors to perform abortions on a case-by-case basis. The high court is set to hear arguments on the case in the spring and says Idaho's pro-life law can remain in place for now. This is the second high-profile case on abortion the Supreme Court is taking on this session. The first concerns the legality of dispensing the abortion drug mifepristone by mail. And a new report ranks all 50 states based on their efforts to protect unborn babies in 2023. The group Americans United for Life releases its life list every year and scores states based on their pro-life protections from conception to natural death including not just policies on abortion, but also assisted suicide and conscience rights for healthcare professionals. For the fourth year in a row, Arkansas topped the list, thanks to the state's addition of nine pro-life laws in 2023. Vermont is at the bottom of the list, and Michigan dropped 10 spots after voters approved a so-called right to abortion in their state's constitution in 2022. And joining us to discuss this new report is Tom Shakely. He is the chief engagement officer of Americans United for Life. Tom, thanks for being with me. First, how does your team determine the rankings of each state on the life list? What exactly are the criteria? Yeah, so Prudence, our life list at Americans United for Life is a long-running ranking of the states, as you mentioned, from most to least pro-life. The way the rankings work is that every year, uh, the state legislatures, right, typically for most of them, it's kind of the January to April timeframe meet, they pass laws. Uh, they consider laws first. They pass them, hopefully, if they're good. Uh, and then we kind of assess what the state of things is. And so uh, in the last year's legislative sessions, for instance, we saw 59 at least that we know of pro-life bills uh, across the states mm. move forward. And we look at those bills and we look at the issues that they deal with uh, from uh, most pro-life, all those 59 I mentioned, to a lot of other bills that are the opposite, uh, anti-life, hostile to life, or at least indifferent. Mm. And then we say, how do these states rank uh, across the spectrum of the human right to life? So abortion, certainly, 
um, but also all the other issues, obviously things like assisted suicide and euthanasia, um, but also things like patients' rights, uh, conscience rights, conscience protections for healthcare workers, all those kinds of issues on the spectrum from um, you know conception through to natural death. We look at it holistically, uh, and we try to assess how the states are doing, and that's what produces our life list rankings. Yeah, it's an important resource. And Tom, what are the biggest takeaways from the report for this past year? Any big changes? Anything unexpected? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. Every year there are big changes. Obviously, now that we're in this post-Roe, post-Dobbs environment, states can do more than they were ever able to do under the Roe regime. Uh, The big takeaway is that, you know, states are showing their character. Uh, Those who respect life are finding ways to protect it, new ways to protect it, better ways to protect it. And states that historically haven't respected life, you mentioned some of those states, unfortunately, at the bottom of the ranking, like Vermont, are finding, unfortunately, new ways uh, to do damage to life uh, or simply to to enshrine a culture of indifference, purported neutrality to life. Mm. And can you detail some of these new laws enacted in Arkansas this year, which made the top of the list? It seems like a true model of what it means to be a pro-life state. Yeah, Arkansas, uh, you know, has been a leader for a long time for us, the fourth year uh, that Arkansas has topped the life list. And the reason for that uh, is because of really strong pro-life lawmakers like uh, Senator Jason Rapert and others in the state who are concerned not just with playing uh, a defensive game, which is crucial, um, but also playing an offensive game, actually going out and proactively enshrining laws to protect life and to create new paradigms that other states can follow. And so Arkansas and some of the other states there in the top five are there uh, not just because they've done good work in their states, passing nine life-affirming bills in Arkansas alone, but also showing other states and a lot of the some of those states that are kind of in the middle of the rankings what sort of things they should be doing, uh, what sort of protections might be needed. Think of something like the the FACE Act, right, which has been used uh, by the Biden administration, unfortunately, to go after pro-life advocates, sidewalk counselors, people who engage in in peaceful direct action. Uh, well, uh, states like Arkansas are passing bills to make sure that uh, so the sorts of pro-life witness and advocacy that we see that's good, that should be totally permissible within our constitutional uh, system, within the understanding of free speech and uh, and, and public assembly and all those good things, uh, they're making sure that states can protect that sort of activity as far as they can, they can go uh, without interference from the federal government. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, and unfortunately, Michigan is much lower on the list now than it used to be thanks to the pro-abortion ballot proposal that was passed in 2022. It led to essentially the codification of very Roe-like laws in the state, that Roe regime being reinstated. Yeah. Do you think this is a developing trend in the states? I mean, there are rumors that a ballot proposal like this could pop up in Arkansas, the most pro-life state on your list. So what's your take on, on how that's going to yes. impact uh, these pro-life laws? Yeah, no, you're right. And uh, of course, you know, states like Ohio, too, right, having unfortunately enshrined abortion through the ballot measure. uh, Michigan and and Ohio are unfortunate for that reason. And the truth is that, you know, when we look at the number of states uh, that allow for ballot initiatives um, for direct votes, direct democracy, majoritarian uh, numbers to peel away basic human rights that our Constitution protects, that are right by nature, um, there are a number of states that remain, uh, you know, it's, it's not that many states, but it's, you know, it's, it's seven or eight 
uh, that that could still move to uh, enshrine this fiction of of a right to kill uh, in their state constitutions. Mm. The unfortunate fact of it is that the amount of money uh, that pro-abortion forces have to pour into these states to buy outcomes of the vote, unfortunately. You know, I, I'm a good American. I'm an eighth-generation Pennsylvanian, a son of the revolution. Uh, I love our way of life. I love our system. But the unfortunate fact is that in direct democracy scenarios like the ballot initiatives allow for, money often dictates the outcome. Uh, and the fact is that uh, these these groups, so long as they're permitted to flood a state with money from who knows where, certainly out of the state, but beyond that even, who knows where it's coming from, right. as long as they're permitted to do that, uh, states are going to continue to fall. And it's very possible that we lose the remaining states that have those ballot mechanisms. Most states don't have it, fortunately. Uh, most states allow state lawmakers to do what they're there to do, to, uh, to be elected representatives for the good of the people. Um, but that's going to be a continuing uh, headwind for all of us to deal with. We shouldn't get discouraged by it necessarily, because we've always known that we need to fight in both the pro-life states we can fight in, uh, while making moves on the national level to get to a point where we have true abolition of abortion, true equal protection for every member of the human family. Right. So it's always a both and. The states and the federal government, we need to continue to work in both arenas. Absolutely. Well, Tom Shakley of Americans United for Life, thank you for joining me and for sharing all of that crucial information. We appreciate having you on, as always. Thank you, Prudence. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget you can find us at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. X, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. And if you're interested in more news from our nation and world, go to EWTN.com forward slash pro-life and sign up for our newsletter, The Pro-Life Pulse. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.